Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I am happy to connect with you today. Today, we are in September 2022, again, enjoying some of the nice weather and the back to school time, which is a little bit crazy. Um, A couple weeks in, but you know, we're getting there. And we're still continuing along in our marriage and partnership series. Today, we're going to look a little bit further into the topic of intimacy. So we've talked previously about some of the basics on communication. We learned all about infidelity and building trust. And now we're really moving into something that also can be a challenge. Even if we feel like our relationship is overall good, sometimes the intimacy can be its own little beast. So I'm happy to dig into this a little more, into this important relationship partnership series with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell. Dr. Alexandra Stockwell is a medical doctor, and she's also a relationship and intimacy coach. She is going to help us to dig into this intimacy topic. After 12 years of treating families' medical needs, she decided to study the art and science of emotional intimacy and sensual connection in order to show couples how to heal their relationships. Today, we're going to hear her thoughts on intimacy, on how to find more of this in our relationships, and basically just focus on more than just logistics and childcare in our relationships and get back to that intimate space. Please join me in this third part of our marriage and partnership series with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell. So welcome, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. I'm really glad to be here. Why don't we start with you providing your background and how you became an intimate marriage expert? Sure. Well, I am an MD. I actually majored in philosophy and math, and then I went to medical school and did my training and went on to have a small holistic medical practice north of Boston. I was a family medicine doctor. And I did that for a while. And in my mid-30s, I had worked so hard to get to that point. I met my husband in medical school. We were married and at the time had three children. We have four, but at the time we had three. I'd paid off my medical school loans. And I thought, I should have some sense of really having arrived that I would be excited to live the rest of my life after having worked really hard for about 15 years to get to this point. And while I really did love practicing medicine, I didn't have that sense. It was like at the level of a whisper that I just wasn't quite in the right place. And at the time, the phenomenon of physician burnout, which is actually really common now, and a lot of doctors leave medicine. That wasn't true then. I didn't know anyone who had left other than due to accident or um, addiction. And, you know, they didn't have a choice to stop practicing medicine. So I went on the sabbatical. That was what I could arrange for myself. And for the first time, 
really in my life since I could remember, I'm sure it wasn't true when I was four years old, but for the first time in memorable history, I did things just because I felt like it. Instead of having everything I did feel like it was a means to an end, even going on vacation felt like in order to achieve something for my family or myself, I just did things because I liked it. I went and sat by the river. I took a painting class. And I discovered all of these parts of myself that had been dormant that began to thaw and emerge. And that really was the beginning of a journey that led me to do a lot of different trainings, some very scientific and conventional, others a lot more woo-woo and far out. And it was actually many years later, having felt whole and integrated myself as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, and as a professional, that I decided the next frontier, the one thing I really yearned for in my life was more sensuality and more sexual aliveness in my marriage. And so I enrolled in a very in-depth training to learn that for myself. And it happened to double as a coach training. At the time, I didn't even know what a coach was. That was not where my attention was. But I'm curious and I have done a lot of consulting at schools and thought about educational methodology. So I went to check out the teaching lab and I knew I'd come home as soon as I was exposed to what coaching is about. So I really developed my skills and developed my niche. I myself have been married for 26 years. My husband and I have very busy professional lives. We have four children and we have a pretty extraordinary marriage. And it's really my pleasure to coach other couples and show them how to build passionate, intimate, nourishing, fulfilling, self-expressed relationships. Wow, that is quite an amazing journey. So did you go back to practicing medicine as well? Or are you um, fully into being an intimate marriage expert now? I'm fully into being an intimate marriage expert. I'm a relationship and intimacy coach. And that's what I do full time. And really, I feel my impact is profound and generational. One of the things that really motivates me is wanting to serve children in the future. And I feel like the very best way that I can do that is teach their parents how to have absolutely fabulous relationships. And that's true at any age. That's true when the parents are in their 80s, quite frankly. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds amazing. So, you know, I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more about intimacy. I think that, you know, for many of us, especially as we're into life's demands, it can be a challenging area to focus on. So why is it so key to, as you've said, our children, their lives, our relationship as well? You know, the way you're asking that question is really unusual and I appreciate it. So why does intimacy matter? Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I feel like I could give a dissertation, but let me just get to the essence of it. 
anyone listening may or may not be familiar with the research, there's a lot of data to point to um, so many of the challenges in the social fabric in society being the consequence of a lack of connection. So if you look at what really drives addiction, um, infidelity, lack of purpose, like alcoholism, any of the main like umbrella phenomena, meaning the general ways in which even to some degree um, financial irresponsibility, uh, the 7.5 hours that teens spend on their screens outside of educational activity. I mean, any of the ways in which our society is um, frayed, I'll say, frayed at the edges and sometimes right in the center. All of that, depending on how you ask the question, comes down to a lack of connection and an existential loneliness. So I think we are really familiar with that phenomenon in terms of the absence of connection and intimacy. My real focus is on the positives, what it actually brings. And I responded in terms of connection. You asked about intimacy. And let me just say that connection, of course, is something that you can experience with anyone not just a spouse or someone you're going to be sexually and centrally attuned to, but I think of intimacy in this in a similar way. So maybe what I should also say is there are many kinds of intimacy. And when I have just spoken about connection, I'm really talking about what I would call emotional intimacy. And then, of course, there's sensual intimacy, sexual intimacy, erotic intimacy, and many other kinds of intimacy as well. But those are the ones to talk about today. So in our language, the words around the benefits that come from experiencing intimacy, we actually don't have a lot of vocabulary to describe it. So I'm going to talk about it, but you'll hear there's a lot of my intonation and like implication because we have so many more words to describe our challenges and frustrations and loneliness and suffering than we have to describe our bliss, our ecstasy, our nourishment, the exquisite experience of feeling touched and responded to in a way that has us feel heard and affirmed. So before I continue, anything you want to say? No, I think that's making a lot of sense, like that that link to connection. And then I appreciate you mentioning like the different types of intimacy, because it is a word that you know, I often think of sort of in that sexual, sensual way that you're right, there's, there's so much more to it. So I think those were great clarifications. But yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that. Because yes, I, I actually forgot. But when I used to talk about intimacy, people would think that was code for sex. And sometimes it is, let me be clear, sometimes it is. And 
you know, especially when it comes to a one night stand, you can have great sexual intimacy without even knowing the other person's name. But when it comes to a long lasting, beautiful, passionate marriage, we don't actually have access to sexual, sensual, erotic intimacy without having emotional intimacy. So that's something that I want to make really clear that when couples come to me, they haven't had sex in nine months and five years, or the sex they're regularly having isn't satisfying. Almost always the coaching process begins with reconnecting emotionally, both because that's necessary to be able to discuss the other stuff without it being too awkward, but also because honestly, 75 to 80% of the time, when I guide a couple into a much richer, nourishing, satisfying, emotional intimacy, the sex just takes care of itself. But when we aren't really deeply connected emotionally, we have protective walls up. And there's no magic switch to flip when we get to the bedroom, such that then we can be self-expressed and fully present and sharing our bodies if throughout the day we're not really sharing our souls. Now, I do not mean nonstop talking. That's not my point at all. But if there's something that we can't express to a partner or we feel we need to dial down, we're too much or our spouse isn't available to really connect with, it is very hard to have good sex. It's basically impossible to have truly fabulous intimacy in the bedroom when that is the case. In fact, I enjoy saying that when it comes to a long-term relationship, everything which isn't sex functions as foreplay. Every moment, even if it's to a micro degree, either brings you closer together or drives you further apart. But if I return to your question about why is intimacy important, this is with all that kind of context created, this is the bottom line. When we feel passion and emotional and sexual intimacy and it is nourishing and expansive and tender, all of life is better. In fact, my mission in doing this work is because I deeply believe that when everyone or most people has access to really fulfilling intimacy in an intimate partnership, it's not that I think everyone should be partnered. I'm just making this point in a little bit of a dramatic way, but let me just say that everyone who chooses to be partnered and has a sexual partner, that when that that experience is nourishing and contributes to feeling whole and you learn how to participate in that relationship in a way that has you feel really like a whole integrated person, that has a ripple effect of the most immense proportions. It greatly, obviously the relationship itself is more gratifying and fun and um, nourishing, but parenting benefits, 
all of your interactions with anybody else in your life benefits. And I happen to think that many of the big problems in our world resolve and others are more easily managed when people genuinely know how to create connection which honors all of the participants that are in that connection. And so in the case of a heteronormative monogamous marriage, that's learning how to do that with your spouse and the skills translate without making every interaction sexy. Like they translate with a lot of healthy normalcy, but having a rich, gratifying, intimate marriage is like accessing a whole other kind of oxygen that benefits all of life. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It sounds definitely very powerful then to, to do some of this work. And I guess that's what I'm starting to wonder a little bit about. So what um, are you doing as part of the relationship and intimacy coaching in order to help this connection along? Okay, well, I will dial it down and be really transparent. When I work with people, There are a few main places to start, and it always involves becoming more self-aware. Typically, if someone hears me speak the way I did, one of the responses is, I wish my partner were a better lover. Whether you're a man or a woman listening, and whatever kind of partner you have, like, I just wish they would allow me to love them more. They would touch me better. That's not actually where it starts. It starts with clearing out all of the shoulds and the resentment and accessing your own desires because the only way to create the kind of relationship that I'm describing and to have these kinds of experiences with a partner are to really open to what you actually desire and you may desire something simple you may desire something revolutionary and it's quite a process to learn to accept what you desire and I find this is true if I'm talking to someone who's 22 in their 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s we all learn to function and disconnect from our desire in one way or another. And so that's really the first step is to, you know, we don't choose our desires. They arise. We definitely choose how we respond to them, but we don't choose what they are. And there's something very important in basically developing a friendship with your own desires. That is one of the first places. And second beginning points is to cultivate curiosity about yourself, but also very much about your partner. Because if you think back to the incredible feeling of being in love, you have so many questions, you know, where is that scar from? And what was your second grade teacher's name? And are there any vegetables you don't like to eat? And if you could live in any country in the world, what would it be? And if you didn't have the profession you have, what else were you intrigued by? Like, We just have so many questions when we are filled with 
the feeling of being in love. And then as the relationship matures, we don't have as many questions because we already know the answers. And also there comes a familiarity, a stability, a security, which is really beautiful. But it often comes at the cost of being really curious. So when I'm coaching a couple that has been together for 10 years, 23 years, whatever it is, one of the most powerful starting points to reignite passion is to cultivate curiosity. And specifically what I mean is ask open-ended questions, questions that don't have a right or wrong answer that are not multiple choice, but like, what was the most gratifying part of your week last week? What, if you could change one thing in our life, what would it be? Or it can be more whimsical things, like if you could have dinner with any celebrity alive or dead, who would it be and what would you ask them? It doesn't matter if your questions are spiritual or serious or relationally oriented or humorous, but the main thing is to then listen generously to the response and make sure you're only asking a question you actually want to know the answer to. And that already just opens up more intimate energy. And so what I'm really talking about is accessing the intimate connecting energy in conversation and then letting it simmer and bubble up in the bedroom as well. But when I'm talking about the kind of relationship we're describing, that work does not actually start in the bedroom. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, honestly, because I can imagine if you're a couple that is, you know, super busy or running the kids all over, you're doing your job, you're doing all those things and, and you're not really spending those intimate conversations and having that time together that then that could translate into more challenges um, in the bedroom. So I, I can see that all of that connection comes together. Yes. In fact, there's, um, a study that has shown that typically it's less than four minutes a day that couples communicate about anything other than logistics, kids, and pets. And so cultivating curiosity is actually a pretty easy way to just expand how much of the attention you have with one another is on what's happening between the two of you. Okay, that's great. And that's interesting. Four minutes is <laughs> not very long. Um, so one of the things that I wondered was around tools. So in doing some of this relationship work, I mean, you talked about having conversation. What about when we're trying to do that self-awareness? Is it required or suggested to do like journaling? Is that a way to get to some of that self-reflection on what we're desiring for ourselves? Absolutely. Journaling is excellent. And so let me think of some good prompts that, um, you know, would be relevant as we're speaking. One might be um, the kind of intimacy I want to be experiencing is, or 
the thing about intimacy which scares me is, or if I opened myself up to intimacy, I would, those are some things to start with. However, not everyone likes to journal. So other ways to open in this way is first of all, just notice what your thoughts are. Because if you're not experiencing the kind of relationship that I've been describing, whatever your own version of that is, then you probably have a lot of judgments of yourself and or your partner. And so just taking inventory, what are all of the shoulds? How do you think you should be feeling? How do you think you should be treated? How do you think you should be treating your spouse? And how do you think your partner should be treating you? That is another really good way to start because there is a fundamental principle in personal growth, which certainly applies in expanding and enjoying intimacy. And that is that it's really important to be aware both where you're starting, where you are right now, and where you want to go. Now, I don't mean that you need to know enough to like the equivalent of putting in a destination into your GPS, like you may not know all of that yet, but you have some idea of which way you're headed, what your North Star is, and to know your desires, the direction you want to go, and to also know where you are now are essential to be closing that gap. And so then would the idea be to share that with your partner? Well, or is it more for yourself? It really depends. It's definitely for yourself first. And in terms of sharing it with your partner, it depends. You don't want to blow them out. You don't want to overwhelm them. You don't want to contribute to a sense of inadequacy that you're impossible to please. So I coach people on how to bring up this topic. And um, in particular, I encourage if you're listening and you want to share this with your partner, first of all, you could ask your partner to listen to this whole interview, but also to start by saying how much you love your partner, how much you love your life together, what you enjoy about it, And then from there, say, and I love our intimate life to be as wonderful as these other parts of our relationship that I've just described. Is that something you want to? In other words, to get really precise, to share the context for even having the desire for more intimacy. And to make sure to ask a question so that your partner is opting in and saying, yes, I want that too, because probably your partner does want it. But if you don't even ask, then they are less of a participant in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So you don't want to like blindside them with, (laughs) you know, here's all of my intimacy wants and desires and things like that. You kind of like work it, 
work it in, especially maybe if you're not already having those kinds of conversations. That makes sense. Yes, exactly. And um, I coach a lot of people who are extremely competent in their professional lives and used to moving quickly, used to mm. being very good at problem solving. And so I really break it down in the way that I have been in this conversation, but even more so like not to give people a script. I'm not interested in providing scripts because I want them to feel what they're talking about and be connected and not just a script that you can memorize, but to give very precise principles. I think one of the places this comes from is my husband whom I met in medical school and is still a practicing physician I was just so complex and mysterious and unlike other women he dated. And he used to say early in our relationship, I just wish I had a manual. I wish I had a manual to know how to be a really great partner for you. And I used to laugh at it, but then I came to understand he really meant it. And it would have been really amazing to create that. And I have that in mind when I coach and in my online programs to break it down, not so it's shallow, but still deep and relevant, but kind of like a recipe that someone can make their own. I think that's really important. And in fact, I am clear that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. So many people think, oh, I didn't get together with the right person or my parents were clueless and I never learned or whatever. The fact is having a re fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. And the main issue is that people lack the education, which is why I so appreciate you focusing on this topic today because there is so much that can be learned and um, I actually identify as a teacher even more than as a coach sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I guess I'm wondering, so I'm doing a series on marriage and partnership. And in our last episode, I spoke with a relationship coach a lot about infidelity and, and healing in that area within a relationship. And I wondered, so what about if you are already having an issue like that, for instance, then how does intimacy how could it come back? Or how do you rebuild, I suppose? Or is it is it as you're saying, like you work on the relationship first? It's not really either or, it's both and. Mm. So it also depends on the context for the infidelity. There are people who cheat where in their mind, the relationship is already over. And mm. so they're having some extracurricular fun. That is one scenario where um, it's very different than a couple where they actually both are totally committed to the marriage and staying together. And the person who cheated had no intention of blowing things up, probably would have been happy to just have it remain unknown and continue participating in the marriage 
you know, until the end of their lives. That's a super different situation. And I'm just, you know, naming two contexts, but I think what I will say is that typically when there's infidelity, the person who did the cheating in some way had, or I won't say typically across the board, but for the people that I coach, the the person who did the cheating in some way wasn't getting their needs met in the relationship. And I don't mean sexually particularly sometimes, but definitely not always. But um, if they want more attention or, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to make a whole list, but there's something that isn't working. And the same way that um, someone who's an emotional eater, when their feelings are hurt, they eat and someone else when their feelings are hurt will drink and someone else when their feelings are hurt will watch Netflix for hours on end instead of doing something else. Others will seek sexual experiences with someone else. Am I saying those are all equivalent? Am I endorsing or giving permission? No, but I am clear that really growing intimacy in a marriage requires a lot of much deeper compassion and seeing someone for who they are and not wishing that they were different because it's not possible to be intimate with a fantasy. You have to be intimate with the actual person in front of you with all of their often unconscious yearnings. And likewise, the person who's been cheated on has to really navigate what comes up because in addition to the shame and the incredible pain and often rejection, there's also other wounding that arises which was not caused by their spouse cheating. And all of that needs to come into the arena. Mm, okay. So that there, then there's a lot of work, like there's the relationship piece um, as well. And then all of the layers here that you've kind of just described too. So yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the thing about healing from infidelity or honestly, any other deep, emotional pain is that it has a life of its own. So a couple can address it and really fully work it through and move on. And then six months later or six years later, this thing will flare up again. Like that's how emotional memory works. So whatever the context, whether it's recent revealing of infidelity or a marriage which is actually all of their friends look up to and think is really great but one or both of them just feel a little lonely inside or it's actually a pretty good marriage and they want to know how to have more how to how to have their experiences together just be really more 
you know, how to go from good to great, regardless of which scenario it is, we're going to start with self-awareness, self-compassion, and doing the work to open to really see, perceive, and accept who the partner is. And I know what I'm talking about may sound like a complicated, drawn-out, intricate process. It actually is very efficient. It just takes both people relaxing enough to open to another perspective. And it's always astonishing to me how quickly long established patterns can shift when another perspective is said in a way that both people can hear it. And there are times when I might even be saying what one of the spouses has been saying for a while, but it can be heard differently when it comes from me because I'm neutral. Mm, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes that second second opinion or second voice can be super powerful. Um, okay, that's great. And do you ever run into where, and I, I know I've spoken to some of the other interviewees about this too, where one spouse is maybe more willing to get involved in the coaching? Um, do you ever coach only one spouse or um, do you have ways that you sometimes are more able to draw in the second spouse if they're reluctant or partner? Great question. Yes. So I do definitely sometimes work with one spouse and it's always so incredible for that person to experience when they really do the work and have their attention on themselves, the whole Mm. relationship benefits. In fact, while I'm speaking, I'm thinking of a woman who was married for five years when I started working with her. I I don't recommend this. I don't even typically agree to work with someone who does this, but in her case, she never even told him that she was coaching with me. And with every session, I just focused her attention on her own experience. And so if she, for example, initiated sex and he was a no, rather than like, what can I do to get him to respond to really look at, okay, what's arising? What does this mean for you? And how can you still say stay in your sensual juiciness, even if he's not particularly stoking that flame? And so she and I worked together. And after the first month, she messaged me and said, oh my God, he never wants to talk on the phone. He hasn't called me since we got married. He messaged me today and said he'd like to talk. When will I be available? And they went on and had an hour-long conversation. He didn't know she was coaching with me. She didn't tell him. She didn't do anything explicit. But just in changing herself, his response shifted. And I've experienced this also. um, I've worked with more women individually than men, but I've also worked with men in one situation in particular where um, the wife is Spanish speaking only and I don't speak Spanish. So there was no possibility to coach them together. And he did really beautiful work and lo and behold, she didn't, you know, she wasn't quote changing. He was except that inherently opened for her to change and connect more. So I want to say that because when we are in 
a marriage or a committed relationship, building a life together, living together, there is a, an energetic web that we participate in. And when one part of that changes, then the other person, even if they don't know it, has more flexibility and doesn't need to take a stance. Like if someone says something, let's say my husband says to me, I'm upset with you, then I'm going to respond in a way that's, you know, defensive and aggressive, or I'm going to shut down. Like I'm going to have my series of responses, but it's only after really doing deep transformational work that he could say that and I can stay open hearted and say, okay, tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if one person is more loving and more patient, it just makes room for the other person to respond in a richer way. But to the other part of your question, so now I think it's both because of who I am and how I speak and also very much because the times are changing. I have a lot of men reach out to me. It used to be when I started coaching that it was always the women who would reach out to me. So in the time when it was always the women who would reach out to me about coaching and wanting to find out how, where to get my book, things like that. I had many women say, you know, I'm really interested, but my husband isn't. And so I would say, okay, well, ask him if he's open to a 15-minute conversation with me. He doesn't need to commit to anything other than one conversation with me. And they didn't always say yes. But in the situation in which the husband said yes to a 15-minute conversation with me, 100% of the time, they were interested in talking about coaching together and having a conversation with the three of us. And the reason for that is that most often in relationships where one person wants to really work on the relationship, one person is much more into personal growth and the other one isn't, in the situation, I mean, it's true in both ways, but I'm just going to talk about it with the woman being the one who is motivated to do the work. One of the reasons that her partner is a no is because when she talks about doing the work, it's always on her terms and the way that she works. And as soon as he hears that I'm good with how he wants to do the work, I'm good with it looking differently for him he can relax and trust the process because if women, for example, like to listen to podcasts and go to workshops and get coaching, then they want their partners to listen to podcasts, go to workshops and get coaching. Mm -hmm. But maybe for their partner, um, going on a solo canoe trip once a month is what personal growth looks like for them. Or anyway, you get the idea mm -hmm. that no two people's personal growth journey is the same. And particularly in a partnership, each person can grow at a different pace and in very different ways. And so if someone is listening and you feel like you're really into personal growth and want to work on the relationship and your partner doesn't, 
consider that your partner knows something about how they're going to grow that they might know actually better than you do. And how can you respect that and introduce the possibility of coaching? Yeah, I love that. And I've been totally guilty of that for sure. Like thinking like, (laughs) this is exactly what we should do. And my husband's like, "Mm, I don't know, right? So yeah, that makes sense. And everybody's so different in terms of what they need or what will work for them. So that's, that's great. Yeah. And when it comes to the relationship, like there's different kinds of personal growth, and then each person can absolutely have their own journey when it comes to the relationship that can still be true or you need to do something together. And so, yeah, that can be coaching or reading a book together out loud or doing an online program. There are so many possibilities, but that's just so much more likely if the other way is respected. And um, I also think, I mean, you're guilty of it and I used to be guilty too. So I think this resonates that It's a very common phenomenon for a woman to go to some retreat and have some beautiful, expansive experience or read a book, whatever it is, and then come back and be more critical of her spouse because the contrast is more jarring. No, the goal is to go expand, feel more luscious, develop yourself, and then Bring that, bring back the benefits so it looks appealing to do personal growth, not damning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, I love that. Um, be, so before we wrap up, I'm just wondering, we've talked about a lot, but if there are any other key areas of advice or tips or tools that you want to share with the audience? I'm so glad you asked because I was just thinking about that. So I know our topic is intimacy, and we could have had an entire conversation about sex in a way that's nuanced and explicit and um, in a way perhaps seemingly more practical. Mm -hmm. But I just want to reiterate something I said earlier, that in the context of a long-term relationship, all of the things that we've been talking about are prerequisites for transitioning into that realm. Because if, if you're not curious, if you're not connected with your own desires, if you're not willing to have a conversation that might be a little bit awkward, not related to sex, you're not going to be able to do that when it comes to sex. But let's just say you do have the kind of emotional intimacy and access to the depth that we've been talking about and you're open to personal growth looking the way it does for your partner and you're like, okay, you know, I got that. So what about sex? I talked about how to bring it up and I want to say one more thing, which is that, I I really endorse practicing communication and really all of the ways to deepen intimacy on a smaller scale first, kind of like training wheels. Like if you're not used to bringing up a new conversation or bringing up the topic of sex, don't do it while you're both naked. Mm-hmm. Do it 
in a time when it's peaceful, neither of you is stressed or focused on something else, you're not in the middle of a fight, bring it up when the only new thing is this topic so that it's less awkward and less confronting and you can both be more present. Similarly, if you're not happy with the kind of sex you're having, start with kissing or start with how it feels when you're holding hands and maybe just when you're taking a walk and holding hands, do you want a stronger grip? Do you want a lighter grip? Like what exactly is the position between both of your hands that would feel really good to both of you? So these skills compound, they build on one another and starting with a conversation when you're both fully clothed and calm, starting with how you hug one another, if there's a way that you want that to be more comfortable, more delicious. And then just titrate up from there into whatever it is that you'd like to adjust when neither of you are wearing clothes and it's a much more mm, juicy affair. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. That, okay. That makes a ton of sense. Like starting with some of those smaller pieces of intimacy first and then kind of working your way up. I like that. They really do lubricate the working their way up elements. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. This is such great advice, Dr. Alexander Stockwell. I think and I'm sure that many listeners will want to connect with you again. So, what is the best way to find you, be it online, social media? Find me at theintimatemarriagepodcast.com. That will take you to my podcast, The Intimate Marriage Podcast, to my website with all of the links to follow me on social media. If you want to read or listen to my book, you can also find my various programs there. But the best place to go is theintimatemarriagepodcast.com. Okay, that's perfect. And I will link up to that in the show notes as well so that everybody can just click away and make their way to you. Um, thank you so much for all of this wonderful advice and background on intimacy. I've certainly learned a lot myself and different ways to approach how to increase intimacy in our lives. So again, I appreciate your time so much. And thank you. Thank you, and thank you for making this information available to listeners. Do you love the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, if you love the podcast and you want more and more to keep coming, I would love your support through Kofi.com. Kofi.com is a way that you can put a little money towards your favorite podcast. It can be as little as a few dollars, one time, bunch of times, whatever you feel that you can give. And it helps to cover all the costs that go associated with podcasting. So if you would like to support this podcast, please consider donating through Kofi.com. You can find the link in my Instagram feed under Linktree. It's at Sarah Lady Gluten, or you can visit Kofi, K-O- hyphen fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. I appreciate your support, whether you can give or not. Thanks so much for listening.
Thank you so much to Dr. Alexandra Stockwell for her conversation today on intimacy. She's a relationship and intimacy coach and an intimate marriage expert. And you can find her so many places online. Probably the best place is alexandrastockwell.com. You can also connect with her on her own podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast. I thought this was a great conversation where we talked a lot about what is required for intimacy and how we can do that better in relationship and how we can even heal through challenges and sort of find each other again. And, you know, we often think of intimacy as um, thinking about sex, but it, there's so many things beyond that, that, that really we got into in this episode and was so helpful. And I think I definitely want to learn more about all of the things that she's talking about in terms of meeting our emotional needs, and then that link with our sexual intimacy as well. I thought this was a great episode. I wrote down so many notes. Um, I loved her point that a fantastic relationship is learnable and that one of the main issues is a lack of education. I think in so many of the episodes and in different areas of marriage and partnership, you know, sometimes you feel stuck and sometimes you feel uncertain about um, how to to get to the next level. But when she talked about accessing learning and education and, you know, maybe each partner needing to do things a little bit different, I thought that made a lot of sense and um, is then something that people can really work with. And certainly you can work with her on this um, as your coach and, and likely also doing a lot of research on your own and using the different resources that she talks about on her website. So again, I really hope that you're enjoying the series on marriage and partnership. This is such an important relationship in many people's lives that especially once we have kids and we get really busy, we don't always put the time and effort. And before you know it, you're far into relationship and you're you still haven't maybe worked everything out or gotten to the part where you're feeling the most comfortable or the happiest that you could. So it's definitely great to check in with a series like this and, and really start thinking about where you're at. Maybe you can do some journaling around the episodes and reflect on your own relationship. That could be a really interesting way. Also, certainly this is not meant to be professional advice really just a conversation around uh, marriage and partnership. So if that journaling does lead you into thinking um, that maybe you do need more help, seeking out that help through a professional therapist or a couple's counselor could be really beneficial as well. So I hope that September is going well for you. We are into the swing of things and busy at our house, starting to think a little bit about... Um, Thanksgiving in Canada, which is not that far away, wondering what we're going to get up to, um, starting to think about that next long weekend for us, um, and also fall fairs and all of those really exciting things that, that come up in the fall as the weather is changing, but still um, nice and accessible here in Ontario, Canada. So I hope you've had a great week and that you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to connecting with you next week again. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. 
If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi, ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.